Okay, hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to Facebook Live. Now, what I want to do over the next few weeks, perhaps, is give you some Facebook Lives where we look at some images or slides, and I want to see if this will be of great interest to you. So you have to let us know. Lily and I are trying all sorts of new things. So let's see if this works. And this will be an AI update. I came up with a question of more questions than answers, or maybe it's really more answers than questions. I'm not really sure, but I'm going to show you a bunch of different things that I've been reading in the last few weeks. And all of these slides eventually get put up on the AI portion of the website. So you'll see all of these. And I really have nine different articles. So let's see if I can get through them. If I don't get through them all, we'll stop. Okay, question. Can machine learning based medical directives be used to automatically order testing at triage for common pediatric presentations in the emergency room? So the question was, can you streamline things knowing that when you start looking at pediatrics, there are really many things that patients come to the ER for, but there's certain ones, particularly six pediatric emergency department use cases, and can we streamline those? So that would be very important. The findings of the study suggest that machine learning based medical directives can automatically order diagnostic testing for pediatric patients at triage with high positive predictive values and minimal over-testing. So this means perhaps we can speed things up. The idea that you can use computers is not very tricky, right? Because now often people have protocols, but the problem with protocols, it's an all or none phenomena. When integrated into clinical workflows, machine learning based medical directives may have the potential to autonomously order common ED tests early in a patient's visit with explainability provided to patients and clinicians. So you can see, you can read about this, but it's a really good idea because perhaps we could do things faster and better and cheaper, yet maintain the quality. We know that overcrowding in ERs and prolonged wait times are common challenges associated with poor health outcomes globally. So can we do things better? I think that's a really exciting opportunity. And the findings of this study suggested that in this segment, surely, and maybe others, EDs can be automated for increased efficiency, increased quality of care, and a better patient experience. So we'll find out if that's going to be the case. And um, using these data, the weighted mean reduction was approximately 165 minutes per patient when this MLMD was activated. Just in case you don't know, 165 minutes is basically three hours. That's massive, okay? Think about the better quality, forget the profitability, forget everything, forget we're tightly staffed and short staffed, but for the patient, three hours is a lifetime. Okay, article number two, to reduce emergency wait times, tie them to payments. So this article, this was from Harvard Business, our research shows that financial and outcomes-based incentives create indirect competition on waiting times and have the same effect on outcomes as direct competition has on other service points without patients needing to exercise choice. The solution would work without requiring the regulator to figure out the thorny question, what's an acceptable waiting time and how much would it cost? 
And so what they looked at was, what if you reimburse patients, or rather the hospitals better, or the ERs better, if they had less wait time, okay? And should you compare things to national benchmarks, hospitals that exhibit shorter waiting times and the average should be financially rewarded while underperforming hospitals should be penalized. Remember, one of the things, now it's not a perfect way of thinking about it, but if you try to save money, you have less ER docs, you have left nurses, you have left lab people, you have left technologists, you'll save money because you don't hire people, but your wait times are going to be longer. So the key will be to balance the expenditures with the wait times. Very interesting idea. And actually, the article showed Baltimore wait times. You can see anywhere from 3 hours, 13 minutes to 4.51. So we're talking about a difference of 50% from the most efficient to the least efficient. Now, to be fair, some hospitals see very minor type processes. Some hospital ERs see very difficult patients, gunshot wounds, big-time trauma, all sorts of things. And there are many other explanations, but you can see there's a significant difference. And can we incentivize to decrease the difference? Number three, a practical thing. Machine learning outperforms clinical experts in classification of hip fractures. Hip fractures are a major cause of morbidity and mortality in the elderly, high health and social costs. Can we do better? Can machine learning identify and classify fractures? And can their performance be equal to or better than humans? And in this article, the machine learning method was able to classify hip fractures with 19% greater accuracy than humans, achieving overall accuracy of 92%. Hip fracture seems to be one of the easiest things, but machine learning can really make a big difference, according to this article. We envision that this approach can be used clinically and aid in the diagnosis and the treatment of patients who, who sustain hip fractures. So again, very, very um, good results for a very practical problem. Okay, number four, preparing clinicians for a clinical world influenced by AI. Remember, PACS came along, no one listened to us. We had electronic health record systems that drove people crazy still drive everyone crazy, but, you know, the epics of the world, they didn't listen to us. They knew better. Well, what we want to do is have AI listen to us. So when AI comes along, we're part of the cycle. While AI has been critiqued as being the uh, in its hype cycle, uh, AI will be used as shorthand uh, for AI and ML. Over time, it's likely that every medical specialty will be influenced by AI, 100%, and some, like radiology, pathology, will be transformed. We need to figure out a way of getting the clinicians involved early on. Equipping clinicians with the skills, resources, and support necessary to use AI-based technology is now recognized as essential the successful deployment of AI in healthcare. So we really need to think about this, and but overlooking this fact risks clinician cynicism and suboptimal patient outcomes. And again, we know we also need to be certain that what we're using is actually working. Epic came up with a sepsis model. They said it worked. If you use it, actually patients do poorer. So we need to make certain that what we have people using is in fact very good. It's also 
important to remember as we spoke that we don't want to have a problem like we had with electronic medical records. If AI is going to work, clinicians need to buy into the process. They must be part of the process. They must understand the process. Because ultimately, we're the ones who will bear much of the responsibility to successfully broker the triadic relationship between patients, the computer, and themselves. Very, very important. Navigating this transition and finding the appropriate role for credentialed experts in it will be a significant challenge in a healthcare system transformed by AI. So we need to be involved from the get-go, which is the reason I'm lecturing to you or I'm speaking with you. We're not lecturing, I'm having a conversation because we all need to know about this. You gotta be paying attention. We can't be run over by administrators. That continually happens. The administrators know zero about AI, and they may be the ones making the decisions in many groups. Again, in this article by James, very, very important. It is imperative that clinicians have the knowledge and skills to assess and determine the appropriate applications of AI outputs for their own clinical practice and for their patients. Rather than being replaced by AI, these new technologies will create new roles and responsibilities for clinicians. We need to be part of the process. Okay, Article 5. The business of artificial intelligence in radiology has little to do with radiologists. This is a recent article by Trivedi that makes the point, how are you going to know that AI is going to be put in practice? Who's making the decisions? Well, the challenge is matching return to the investor. When these two things are mismatched, cost justification for one group's investment for another group's benefit rarely occurs. So. Very good article to read. If an AI model can increase the throughput for examination's interpretation, then the radiology practice can absorb additional volume without hiring radiologists, and so then it's cost-effective. Similarly, models that triage low complexity of negative studies can be used to route these exams to physician extenders and reduce course. Perhaps that will work. Conversely, AI models that close the loop on patient follow-up or detect incidental findings that have no benef financial benefit for a private practice group are therefore less likely to be paid for by the radiology group. On the other hand, you could imagine from a quality of care perspective that may be important, and for the hospital where incidental findings lead to more studies, more referrals, it may be important. So it becomes very different where you're sitting. For example, closing the loop on an incidental adrenal nodule can result in an additional triple phase CT or MR and thousands of dollars in additional revenue while providing standard of care for the patient. Models that provide opportunistic screening such as scoring of coronary calcium on routine non-gated chest can identify high-risk patients for cardiology referral some of whom may ultimately receive advanced interventions. But again, ultimately these models have little impact on the radiology workflow and the finances of a radiology department, so radiology may not want to buy it if it's going to benefit cardiology. However, if you were a health system, if you were the VA, then it really doesn't matter because everything gets spread around. So it's very important to realize who's going to benefit will often determine whether or not AI is going to be implemented. Obviously, the key thing at the end of the day is the patient, but at the end of the day, 
somebody has to pay for things. Deployment of AI models in these settings can increase confidence in discharging patients for negative exams or help quickly flag emergent findings that require immediate intervention. So again, it's how we're going to do things. Now, whether CPT codes come along, whatever happens, again, it's going to be very important what the advantages of AI are. We know AI is going to be very advantageous, but where is the advantage? Who's going to benefit? And that's going to be very important to determine who is willing to pay for things. And so again, majority of care in the U.S. is based on fee-for-service. There are a few domestic, like the VA, which have more of an international or vertical payment type model. So it may be different in those scenarios. And because the U.S. is different than Europe, many AI companies have seen wider adoption in Europe and Asia as compared to the U.S. So that becomes very important. And in summary, this article is worth reading as a short article. In summary, the path to adoption of AI is complex, but must be viewed through a realistic lens that considers the economic truths of the healthcare system. So again, this article is not throwing stones at anybody. It's just making you think about it. At the end of the day, in American medicine, the financial return is very important. Who pays for things often is related to who will benefit from things. So let's see. All right, I'll give you one more, number six. To evaluate and compare the diagnostic performance of AI algorithms for diagnosing PE on a CT. And this was an article published by uh, in the European Radiology just a couple weeks ago. And their conclusion was that AI was very good. Their conclusion, instead of replacing radiologists, AI for PE detection appears to be a safety net in emergency radiology practice due to high sensitivity and negative predictive value, thereby increasing the self-confidence of radiologists. So what they're saying is AI is really as accurate or more accurate than radiologists, and AI with radiologists is the most accurate. And so it's very important to realize accuracy, specificity, and positive predictive value was significantly higher for radiologists, except in sub-cohorts with poor-to-average injection quality. Radiologists positively evaluated the AI algorithm to improve their diagnostic comfort. Very, very important for us if we're happy. Both the AI algorithm and emergency radiologists showed excellent performance on PE. The AI algorithm for PE can help increase sensitivity and negative predictive value of emergency radiologists in clinical practice. And emergency radiologists recommended the use of AI for PE detection in satisfaction surveys. A win-win. More accuracy, higher sensitivity, higher specificity, and the radiologists are happy. What can be better? So this article is worth reading, and it's interesting that AI was particularly good when the studies were less than suboptimal. So that is particularly helpful for us. Now I have seven, eight, and nine, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna stop here. I'm gonna wish you a good day. Ask us any questions. Please look at the articles I listed here. Please look at the AI section on CT is Us. We're going to keep coming back to you with AI. We're going to have visitors speak about AI. We've written articles, and we will continue to write articles on AI. And I hope you enjoy them. And with that, have a great day. See you soon.